If you ask an eight-year-old kid what they want to be when they grow up, you'll get a bevy of answers. Basketball player, doctor, firefighter, pilot. Very few of them, if any, will say to you, I don't know. Now, of course, those desires almost inevitably change when we realize that we're not that great of an athlete Schooling to be a physician takes way too long. Fighting fires is, well, scary. And who wants to be up in the air all day? Most successful people will tell you that you find your true purpose by simply doing the thing you do the best that requires the least amount of effort and stress. This thing we're good at may not necessarily end up being the thing we make the most money at, but it will, for sure, majorly contribute to your sense of purpose and ultimately your happiness. But the reality is, as sad as it may be, when it comes to careers, we usually end up falling into the trap of devoting our lives to something that simply requires the least amount of effort to get into in order to take care of whatever debt we have at the moment. And also, unfortunately, we end up staying in this quicksand much longer than we want to because we keep adding onto the debt to a point where we can't find a way out. Now, remember when I told you that when most eight-year-olds were playing with their cars and dolls and video games, and that I was toying around with computers and maps? Authentic, parchment, hand-drawn maps. It was called Pretend, my methodology behind the computers and maps. Now, the computer was used to build your own worlds, because you had to write the stories that went with it, the constitutions and laws of the land, and businesses that you own that helped the places and the people and the overall culture you wanted this place to have. Now the maps, those were used for strategizing exactly where in the world, specifically, you wanted these things to take place. Climate, landscape, terrain, all of that mattered greatly to the kingdom, so to speak, that you would be overseeing. It was all very fascinating, come to think of it, and it required great attention to detail and imagination and commitment. You're probably thinking we could have just played The Sims, and you're right. There were dozens of electronic simulations that probably could have been more efficient for what I had started, but I doubt that would have gotten third grade boys since most of my friends at the time were boys then, to forego whatever it was that they were doing at recess to build handmade empires with me. So I was one of those eight-year-olds that might have said to you, I don't know, when you asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. Now, it wasn't because I didn't have a vision for my future but it was because I wasn't as concerned about what I wanted to be when I became an adult as I was with who I wanted to be 
and I just didn't know how to articulate that then. So, even though I probably couldn't exactly tell you what my future held by age nine, people, they always trusted me and seemed to like where I was going. And they wanted to come along. Christina Perez had a similar effect on those around her. As the middle child of her parents' five kids, Christina was used to people looking to her for direction, mostly because of her even-keeled, balanced personality and assertive communication style. Conscientious and trustworthy, she attracted respect, even when she wasn't even seeking it. Now, as a senior at McKinley Tech High School in Northeast D.C., she holds leadership positions for three clubs, plays several instruments, and is part of the National Honor Society. Because McKinley is a STEM-focused high school, her concentration there is engineering, which, in case you are unfamiliar about what this is specifically, it's the use of scientific principles to design and build machines, structures, and other things like bridges, tunnels, roads, vehicles, even buildings. So naturally, her father, Juan Perez, a Guatemalan electrician by trade with his own contracting business, never passes up an opportunity to tell you about Christina's impressive skill set, even to those just meeting him in passing. This, of course, embarrasses Christina, who sometimes works with her father when he needs an extra hand, or on weekends. An engineering talent at age 17, who's already getting practical world experience with a construction company, you probably think Christina's future must be set, right? And you wouldn't be alone. Her father, he thinks so too. For Christina, though, the problem isn't that she doesn't know what she wants to do when she's done with school and finished growing up. The thing is that she has yet to tell her parents that what she wants to do is not the same thing that they think she's going to do because it's not the thing that inspires those unwarranted conversations her father likes to have with strangers. Because see, the thing is, Christina, an honor student who's sitting on four acceptance letters from high-end universities already, is a master communicator. In fact, talking is the thing she does the absolute best with the very least amount of effort or stress. She's never told her family that this was why she spent four nights a week essentially working for free. Now, the technical term, of course, was interning. Her father just thought it was volunteering. Christina considered it training, a very necessary step in the direction in which she planned to go. Whatever the case, although she's pretty good at engineering, she has absolutely no interest in spending her life using scientific principles to design and build machines, structures, bridges, tunnels, roads, vehicles, or buildings. Right now, Christina wants to do nothing more than sit behind a microphone and connect with you, starting with music, which is why she interns at a radio station. Christina will soon reveal this to her parents, 
which will inspire her two younger siblings to be more fearless and let her older siblings know that it's okay to be honest and change course. Because what Christina wants to do in this life is not so much about the doing. It's more so about the being, the who that she wants to be, which is someone that people like to go with, even when they don't know where she's going. I'm Kayana Ebony Brown, and this is a story of music and men. Unfortunately for me, my new set of 24 was a bust. Three hours left in the day and not an inch closer to finding out who was running that show at 930 Club. But that night, my focus was back on TK. When I got to the radio station, she was already there, armed and ready for her 15 minutes of locally broadcasted fame. She was even going over some questions she had pulled from listening to previous interviews that the show's host had done with other upcoming acts so that she would have some properly crafted answers when asked. <laughs> I must admit, I was quite impressed. Salam alaikum, I said as I approached. Walaikum salam, she responded. And without missing a beat, she went right into probing me for the best approach. Hey, when they asked me who was my biggest influence in music growing up, you think I should stick to just rappers or talk about some of the other genres? Because I listen to a lot of jazz and like rock and stuff like that. What time did you get here again? I asked, realizing that it was two minutes to nine. Uh, I don't know, eight, 15? Someone let me in. I think it was an intern. Because I worked in radio, in fact, I had actually interned at this very station years ago. I knew that a nine o'clock interview would have started prep before this point. She saw the wrinkle-browed expression of deep contemplation on my face and became nervous right away. What? What is it? I quickly straightened my face and lied. Nothing. I stood up and started looking around for someone. Anyone. Then a familiar voice filled the station. It's your girl, Millie Cruz, and you're listening to On Blast on DC's number one station for hip-hop and R&B. We got a very special guest stopping through shortly, but first, let's get into the latest from the Hush fam. Hush LV, Hustle Until Success Happens. This one is called Made in Japan, and you know you heard it first right here on Hot 92.9 WEDC. I'm Mr. Clover Man. Hey, welcome to Cloverland. Hey, hey. Stepping away in my desire. Just then, a young woman quickly came through the door that separated the lobby from the important part of the station and breezed by us straight toward the entry door. It was her. her. She's the one who let me in and told me to sit here, TK informed. Um, excuse me. 
But she was already opening the entry door, and the noise coming from the people she was letting in drowned out my voice. I heard her tell the group, Hi, I'm Christina, the production assistant. Let me show you to the studio. I counted seven guys and one girl. And then I recognized the guy in the middle of the pack. Wale, a major label artist from D.C. who had sold millions of records, sold out countless shows, and had obviously been here a number of times before because he led the group right past us and through the double doors to the studio. I didn't manage more than an excuse me before the intern and the group was out of sight. But before pessimism could set in, I was in luck. Amelia, that vegan host who I'd made the agreement with, came through the doors headed in another direction. She didn't even see us. Hey, I yelled and then went to track her down. Off guard, she turned and said, Oh, hey, it's you. Uh, we're supposed to have an interview on your show at nine? I hadn't realized that TK had gotten up, followed me, and was standing right beside me. Oh, uh, right, Taj Kamal, yeah, the local thing, she said, avoiding looking at TK. <sighs> Look, um, Wale just dropped in. Wanted to debut his new shit. I don't even think we're doing that 15 Minutes of Fame thing segment tonight. My hands are tied. I mean, it's Wale. Well, what about next week? TK asked. And Amelia just looked at her now, almost like she hated to say this, but... We have set scheduled guests for all of our shows and... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I said, when I go out on a limb and give a girl my cupcakes, I expect it to mean something. Realizing how that sounded, I quickly turned to TK and clarified, it, it's, not, it's not at all what it sounds like. No, it's exactly what it sounds like, Amelia said. TK's eyes widened and her brows went up, revealing all kinds of judgment on her face. So I tried to better clarify. See, um, what happened was, in order to actually get you this interview, I gave her... She brought me vegan cupcakes. And Amelia bit her bottom lip as she considered her next statement. <sighs> Tell you what. Stick around. I'll keep you on standby. Time opens up in the show. I'll put you on. TK and I looked at each other and agreed without saying a word. We'd stay. We sat there for two and a half hours. Apparently, time never did open up. Which got me to thinking, is there a master plan to all of this? Or... Are we just writing our stories as we go? If so, I'm curious how much say we actually have in how the story goes. I spend my days worried about the path that I pave. I've seen this world in black and white. It's color I crave.
Before I knew it, Sunday was here, and according to all the pointless research I had done, Gavin DeGraw was likely in the air, on his way to D.C., and would never know about my efforts. Lucas had made himself comfortable in my chair behind the desk in my office slash basement that he seemed to think was the most comfortable chair he had ever been in. It was a plain old Ikea swivel. And he was strumming his guitar to the tune of something he had written earlier. When I entered the room with two mugs of tea and motioned to hand him one, he stopped playing and put the guitar across his lap to retrieve it. But before taking a sip... He continued the complaints he'd started when he first came in, 20 minutes earlier. It wasn't supposed to go like this. Do they even know how many views I get online and subscribers and followers and stuff? He stopped to sip his tea. Mm, this is good. But man, I deserve that spot. Man, I should be up on that stage tonight. Dude, this is so not fair. I man. only I half listened as he went on and on about how this latest failed attempt to get him on that stage at 930 Club was a mistake on the club's part and perhaps a lack of true effort on mine. I mean, listening to him, you would think that this was an overall tragedy in the world of music. Looking like a lost member of One Direction with his thick, curly brown mane and sometimes green, sometimes blue eyes, he was already prepared physically for heartthrob status. He still, however, had a very long way to go if he wanted a career to go along with it. Lucas was still a few months away from turning 21, so I took everything he said about almost everything with a grain of salt. I'm not discounting the struggles he's had in his very young life so far, and they are numerous. But as an artist, he was expecting a fairy tale that almost never happens, which was to be discovered and become a star simply because he was naturally good at what he did. And forget about paying dues, forget about honing his craft, forget about putting in those proverbial 10,000 hours that Gladwell talks about. Lucas wanted to be, as TK jokingly called him, Justin Bieber. When I helped him put up his first video online, and it got 4,000 views in one week, that was it. Scooter Braun should have been calling. He should have been making money doing this. The whole world should have stopped and listened to him because he was just that good, right? Wrong. And for the last two years since we started working together, I've had to find creative, gentle, and or clever ways to show him or tell him that he still had work to do. Lots and lots of work to do. 
Lucas was cute, male, straight, and white. And although he was not savvy enough yet to know that in America, having three of these four things together would always be enough. But I knew that innately, something inside of him was telling him that it should be. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what I was up against. So this wasn't the first time that I had watched him pout and slouch and complain about what he wasn't getting and even questioned my efforts of getting it for him. He turned his attention to the screen of my open laptop, mindlessly using his fingers to scroll up and down the page as he went on with his spiel. Did you talk to everybody you could? I mean, did you go to the top? I'm sure if the people at the top heard my music, they would be like, yeah, we should put him on that stage, right? Because really, Kenya, think about it. All those videos I've done have all gotten like, he stopped to think, trying to do the math, like a few million views, I'm sure. And I perform at all those schools and and stuff all the time. He shook his head and sipped his tea. And I just watched and listened. Man, I feel like crap. You supposed to you supposed to do something like build me up or something. Make me feel better about all this. I took my time considering this. To this end, we'd had some success, but only by indie music standards, which meant we still had a very, very long way to go. Getting on that stage was something both Lucas and I wanted badly. But for Lucas, It was for the bragging rights to be able to say that he had conquered the same stage that many of his musical heroes had. For me, it was a DC thing. I knew what that stage and that venue symbolized. I'd gotten Lucas in front of nearly every possible crowd in DC. The schools, the -the hole-in-the-wall music venues, the festivals, not to mention the blogs and papers had all done really great write-ups on him. The love outside the city was insane. Ohio, West Virginia, and Delaware alone were the reasons I could pay off my laptop a month early. I wanted to solidify his presence, our presence, in D.C. That stage, to me, would do that. And honestly, I thought we were ready. I mean, I thought I had done enough to warrant getting one of my artists on that stage now. So with a calculated approach... I said to him, well, my job is to steer you in the right direction creatively, get you recorded, distributed, and onto the fingertips, into the ears, and in front of the eyes of people who will buy you. And to this point, I've done a damn good job of doing that. I'm sorry if that doesn't build you up or make you feel good enough. He stared at his guitar, perhaps taking this all to heart. Your name, Lucas, will be enough to get you on that stage one day. I promise you that. But today is just not that day. Still focusing on the screen of the open laptop, he took a deep breath, took a sip of his tea, and took a few seconds before he said, Well, I'm sitting here with you. Not in front of people who will buy my music, so... What's your plan? And there was that word again. Plan. I was the planner. I was always planning for us because that was my job. 
It's what I was supposed to do. They do the artist stuff. I do the other stuff, which included planning business success. But maybe I should have conceded, said that I was beat, that I just didn't have any more plans left in me at the moment. However, I couldn't. I was the one steering the ship. I wasn't that eight-year-old anymore. I was supposed to know where I was going now. But the only thing I knew for sure was that nothing was going according to my plans. Finally, Lucas stopped toying with the laptop, leaving the screen exactly where he'd found it. And that was when I saw what had been looking back at him the whole time. An article I had been reading about Wooly Ortega, that Venezuelan violinist I had seen outside the embassy that day I was with Solomon. And then it hit me. That was it. So I said to him, Yo, pack up your guitar. Let's go. episode of of music and men was written and produced by me kayana with express permission and the help of some of the most incredible indie artists in the world now the first three songs you heard were provided by filmstro arranged and designed for this episode by yours truly now classical music fans might have recognized that lead off track the blue danube by strauss Then we have music from DC's own Hush LV called Made in Japan. And then we had the track Who by my boy Seth Power. I wanted to give you, uh, thank you Seth for allowing me to use that song because I wanted to give you a taste of exactly what Lucas and his sound sounds like. And Seth was able to provide uh, an ideal sound for what I was going for. So I'm really, really grateful for him uh, for letting us use that track off his 2017 Magnolia Soul release. You can find that pretty much everywhere you get your music. So support Seth Powers' music. He's doing some really great things. And this track is by my friends Legang. I don't need you to say anything. And of course, we don't need to say anything when you're making music like this. It's incredible stuff. Support Legang. And I'll have all of these tracks linked up in the show notes Uh, And then later on, you're going to get a word of inspiration. And that is a track by Kevin McLeod, who also makes some really, really great music across uh, several genres as well. And of course, like I said, it'll all be linked up in your show notes. So, of course, you can find that in your podcast app or you can go to ofmusicandmen.com slash podcast and select this episode for more information on these artists. Now, of course, if you would like to have your music featured on the show, check out our website uh, for more information on how you can submit. Now, Of Music and Men, as you probably know, is so much more than just a podcast. The novella series is available in online bookstores, and if you wish to have yourself a physical copy, don't sweat it. You can get it on our website at ofmusicandmen.com, where you can also get t-shirts and other cool merch. 
Also, don't forget to subscribe. I probably should have said this first because the subscription aspect of this whole thing is free now, but that aspect is very, very important. So don't forget to subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, pretty much any and everywhere you listen or prefer to listen to your podcasts. And remember to rate and review. I mean, I would love to hear what you're thinking. Lastly, don't forget to connect with us on Patreon, where you can become a part of this project and its journey. The Patreon aspect is extremely important as well, uh, because you can get a lot of cool insights and discounts on merch. And, you know, we got a lot of cool stuff uh, for our patrons. So uh, and then we're, we're only doing it at two levels, which is the two and the five. So make it really, really simple for you. You can do a two or you can do a five, which means you can be a two dollar patron or a five buck patron. And it's really easy. Just go to of musicandmen.com. You can always find it there. Or if you're actually already in Patreon and you just want to search it in there, it's patreon.com slash, of course, of music and men. Um, make sure to share this episode, this project, this story, everything. Make sure to share it some way, somehow with at least one of your friends. And of course, you're on social media. Follow us. Follow of music and men everywhere online at of music and men. And of course, when you do, don't hesitate to reach out. Artists and entrepreneurs are a very unique type. I mean, we face lots of rejection, almost too often for comfort. So whether you're a seasoned business owner or creator, aspiring to be one, or you're simply here to hear a great story, I want to always leave you with something to ponder. Until next time. Today's word is from Henry David Thoreau. The cost of anything is worth the amount of life you're willing to exchange for it. Think about the things that you are most grateful for. The thing you would exchange any amount of money or time in order to have or save or love or be with. What are you most actually grateful for? Is it your kids? Is it your family? Is it your innate abilities that allow you to contribute best to the world and the betterment of those around you? It is something to think about. So take a moment right now and put some thought into it. Next time on Of Music and Men. Because here's the thing. I'm a 27-year-old kid from D.C. with no siblings who dropped out of college after just two semesters, so not exactly the subject of bragging for my parents. I don't have a degree. I don't have any money. I don't have a lot of connections. I don't have a team of people working with me in order to make my company, or me, successful. And depending on who you ask, I'm dealing with the wrong artists if I expect to see some success in this music business. Not to even mention, I'm probably in the wrong town for this kind of thing anyway. So, I don't have a whole lot going for me. But what I do have is exactly what it takes to be great. The willingness to be wrong or embarrassed or misunderstood or disliked. The willingness to flat out fail and then turn over and get back up for more. I am going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to be bad at my job sometimes. I may not always be the ideal friend, the perfect daughter, or even the best partner. I'm going to hurt people sometimes, perhaps with negligence, never with malice. 
I'm going to give good advice and bad advice, and I'm going to suck sometimes at taking advice. But when it's all said and done, I'm going to have a hand in helping some of the most talented musicians reach the world with their music and become one of the most influential figures in the entertainment industry of my generation. But like I said, today, I'm just a girl from DC selling CDs and MP3s. It's like Little Miss Nobody. But someday, I'm going to be great. And this, this is the story of how I'll do it. That's next time on Of Music and Men.